0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Senator Schumer threatens two Supreme Court justices. The left's abortion extremism on display. Elizabeth Warren has some campaign news. Could it be over for Bernie in Michigan? And what everybody needs to know about Biden, as well as is D.C. underreporting serious crimes. That and more coming up. (ISTINap)
0: <ISTINap> this, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. <inaudible> One
2: call. Make no mistake. America. a great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck, Buck Sexton. It
3: is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. Chuck Schumer kicks us off today. I feel like my Schumer my Schumer voice and my Bloomberg voice are too close. And I've been doing a lot of Bloomberg lately, so I'll, I'll skip that for right now. But Schumer uh, decided that while he was standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, he would issue a a straight-up threat. Not a veiled threat, not a, oh, I'm going to make an insinuation here or an oblique reference to make you uncomfortable. No, no, no. A threat against two named Supreme Court justices, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Here is exactly what the Senator from New York had to say. Play two. A three.
2: I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions.
1: Wait a second. I thought that we had to respect our government norms and institutions. I thought that we had to sit around and be lectured by whiny libs forever, endlessly, every day, about how Trump is destroying our government institutions and the foundation of our democracy and the independence of the judiciary, and he's a threat to the press and all... And then when you ask them, what exactly has Trump done that results in in any of those conclusions? They yell some nonsense, you know, about what Trump said about Mexicans or what Trump said at Charlottesville. Both cases where they lie about what he said, what the intent of his words were. They pretend not to understand plain English. I I had to deal with this again last week in the lion's den on uh, the Bill Maher show with all the crazy libs around me. You know, Trump says that they said Trump's lying because he says that there's a vaccine coming quickly. Well, it it is coming quickly. It's faster. They think it'll be faster than any vaccine in the history of the world. But that still is about 12 to 18 months. He's lying. That's not lying. It's not lying. Just because you don't like someone doesn't mean you get to call them a liar and everything they say is a lie. And it's all lies, lies, lies all the time. But Trump has emotionally and psychologically broken the libs and they have not yet fixed themselves. If anything, they've only gotten worse. And that brings me back to Schumer. Schumer says this at a time when we are we are, like I said, endlessly lectured by libs about how dangerous it is for Donald Trump to speak the way he does about various government officials. They say he undermines the FBI. They say he does this, that, and the other thing that is so very, very dangerous to our government, undermining our institutions is a talking point uh, that nobody should take seriously at this point from the left because they are willing to trash the very institutions that they complain Trump is undermining. The moment that they don't serve Libs, purposes. They will trash those institutions right away. And then that brings me to what has happened here with these judges and why this is even being discussed. There is a case right now that is going to be heard by the Supreme Court. Um, just, that, that is being heard uh, about abortion right, about abortion. Sorry, abortion. I read the the headline. They say abortion right. Abortion. There's no right to it, or there, there's no right to an abortion. This is a fiction liberals created, and it was really the breaking. You want to talk about breaking institutions and destroying faith in government and the impartiality of our judicial system. Now, Roe v. Wade is a judicial. Never mind moral. It is a judicial abomination. It is not possible to be a person who believes that words have meaning, and the law is something. That is written down to be understood by all people bound by it and to think that Roe was a sound decision, regardless of your position on abortion. In fact, honest liberals will tell you that Roe was poorly decided, even if they like the outcome, that the that the legal reasoning behind Roe was ridiculous. Uh, it was it was an absurdity and it has done violence to the well. Violence to tens of millions of unborn babies, but it has, in the sense of the legality or judicial system, uh, it has undermined that and done violence to our notions of justice. And that's the leg- That's the part of the legacy of Roe. From a legal standpoint, that's the legacy. Putting aside for a moment the uh, Holocaust of the unborn that has occurred as a result of it, uh, year in and year out. Um, I will get more into that in a moment. But first, let's just finish up this thread about what's happening here and why Schumer standing outside the steps of the Supreme Court. I mean, Chuck Schumer is a is a shameless and uh, utterly morally decrepit politician. I don't think anybody could make a real case otherwise. I mean, Schumer will say anything at any time, has never stood on principle that would go against his immediate interest a day in his life. He is a slimy and dishonest person. Why is he on the steps of the Supreme Court? I thought that the impartiality of the Supreme Court was something that we were all supposed to respect. Why are there protests outside the Supreme Court on this issue? It, it should not matter. These are not elected representatives. People often forget this. Now, I could use a buck, but there are also pro-life protesters. Yeah, they're, they're there to counter the pro-choice protesters who, as we know, are crazy. Like the stuff that they'll say, the things that are being—I'm going to play audio for you, so I'm not just going to throw that a- allegation out there without giving you more. Uh, but this this idea that there should be pressure brought by not just protesters but politicians getting the rabble fired up on the steps of the Supreme Court in this way, neither side should do this. But when one side, the libs, does it, I can understand why the other side says, well, we got to show up, too— so that there isn't this perception because, you know, what the media does, they show up to like, look at all these people, look at all these women who just want their liberation and their freedom on the steps of the Supreme Court. Nobody, nobody disagrees with them, apparently, because there's nobody here. I understand that this is how that propaganda game is played. But let's just go back to some foundational principles here. There shouldn't be pressure brought to bear at the physical body of the Supreme Court by people on on any issue like this. It doesn't matter how many people get. It doesn't matter if they had a million protesters outside. It doesn't matter. The court is supposed to decide based upon the constitutional merits of the issue at hand. This issue has to do with a law in Louisiana that wants to, that, that sought to hold abortion clinics to the same standards as other medical clinics. Right. That's what this is all about. Now, what that would mean, in effect, is that there would be some abortion clinics in the state of Louisiana that would either have to upgrade their facilities, have doctors with uh, have people that are doctors with admitting privileges on site or else they would have to shut down. Now we get into. We'll we'll pause for a moment on, on where the abortion movement is with the left in this country, but first just. You would think that after Chuck Schumer threatens two Supreme Court justices, he would he would know that he's gone too far. Uh, this is a statement from the office of, Sup- of uh, Chief Justice John Roberts in response to what Chuck Schumer said. Uh, Chuck Schumer said this morning, Senator Schumer spoke at a rally in front of the Supreme Court while a case was being argued inside. Senator Schumer referred to two members of the court by name and said he wanted to tell them that you have released the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You will not know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Justices know that criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they are dangerous. All members of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. Chief Justice slapping down Schumer. Slapping him down, and he deserved it, and then some. Before we go any further here, can you imagine for a moment what the response would be if Donald Trump called out two lib members of the Supreme Court? If he said, you know, Sotomayor and RRBG, uh, you better do what I want on this case pending before you, or else. I mean, I actually think that they would they would try impeachment proceedings against him again based on that Oh, the president's destroying the foundations of our democracy. And look, it's not right for him to say if if he which he didn't say that, but it wouldn't be right. But I'm just saying that's the level they would be willing to go to if Trump did this. Chuck Schumer, he's gonna He's at first he's going to have a bad news cycle. Now he is having a bad news cycle. But at first he had a spokesman go out to double down on this one. To say, yeah, well, what about what the Republicans do? Yeah, what about the Republicans? They're so bad here. And this is all about libs who use, who expect the Supreme Court and use the Supreme Court as a super legislature. And they've had it now for decades. Or things that they cannot get from their elected members through the legislative branch, they demand, demand the Supreme Court just hand them from on high. Schumer pretty much. Said as much. Play uh, 15, Producer Mark. We are here to send these folks a message, not on our
2: watch. So let me ask you, my friends, are we going to let Republicans undo a woman's right to choose? No! Are we going to stay quiet as they try to turn back the clock? No! Are we going to give up or waver when things get tough? No! No, we're going to stand together in one voice and take a stand on behalf of women and families throughout the country. We're going to stand against all these attempts to restrict a woman's right to choose. And we will
4: win.
1: He's an evil guy. I mean, I don't know how you could stand on the steps of, Supreme, of the Supreme Court and just even think of the language he's using. Why not just say abortion? Why, why say protect the right to choose? Well, why? Just say abortion. I don't understand why Chuck Schumer. Oh, no, I do understand. I should re- rephrase that. But I don't see any fair reason why he shouldn't just speak about this the way that it is. And he initially went out there and he doubled down on this. Chuck Schumer thought, hey, uh, I, I don't have to re- apologize. I'm just going to go after Republicans because that usually works. The media is in his back pocket. Usually he's going to work for him. But then everybody, including crazy Lawrence Tribe, professor at Harvard Law and a whole bunch of other other lefties running around in the in the public sphere. They were like, you really you really can't do that. I mean, because and I think that they're, they're telling him that because if he doesn't walk back from this, guess what? The next time they go, Trump is destroying democracy. Look what he said about the journalists. He's destroying the First Amendment. We'd all sit around and say, right, Chuck Schumer threatens Supreme Court justices in front of a mob by name at the Supreme Court. That's that's pretty egregious, isn't it? If anything bad had happened after that, wouldn't Chuck Schumer perhaps be uh, perhaps be subject to charges of incitement? I'm just saying you got a mob, you're rabble rousing, you're calling people out saying, you know, there's going to we're going to come get you if you don't give us what we want here. This is part of why we see the the ugliness over Kavanaugh and judicial confirmations. And I'm going to tie this all back to, you know, who really was a an originator of the nasty partisan fighting over Supreme Court nominees? It was Joe Biden, Mr. Moderate. Now, Mr. Oh, it's cool. He's part of the establishment. Don't worry about it. It was Joe Biden. Who engaged in the. Destruction of Judge Bork, that, that horrific uh, character assassination campaign. And then it was Joe Biden who presided over the Clarence Thomas fiasco, which he referred to, Clarence Thomas, as a high tech lynching in a memorable phrase. And thank heavens, you know, look, Clarence Thomas, Kavanaugh, these guys have had to fight back against the most vicious smears. Who's the lib Supreme Court justice that has had to go absolutely go to the wall to protect himself or herself? Against conservative smears? Do you you have one in mind? This game is not played the same way by both sides. Don't think it is for a second. The left is delusional. And, And don't fall into the trap of assuming, well, we got two political parties. You know, they must be about equivalent, about as moral. Really? Well somebody who's been diving into the history of the Russian Revolution, you think the provisional government after the fall of the Tsar was more or less ethical than the Bolsheviks who seized power in October of 1917 and within short order were lining people up for execution and starving people on purpose? I mean, not all, not all government bodies are the same. Not all government parties are equally moral. I'm not saying that the Democrats are the Bolsheviks, although Bernie feels like he's not that far off these days. But the left is wrong on this one, and they have to continue to dig in because to accept that they've been wrong would be to cede their favorite their favorite toy to the other side, which is the moral the moral high ground, which they think that they hold always. Uh, Schumer has since come out and and said that he would uh, he has now apologized, I believe, for this. Not really apologize. He's done the he's done the non walk back walk back play twenty three mark. I should not
2: have used the words I used yesterday. They didn't come out the way I intended to. My point was that there would be political consequences, political consequences, for President Trump and Senate Republicans if the Supreme Court, with the newly confirmed justices, stripped away a woman's right to choose. Of course, I didn't intend to to suggest anything other than political and public opinion consequences for the Supreme Court, and it is a gross distortion. To imply otherwise, I'm from Brooklyn. We speak in strong language. I shouldn't have used the words I did, but in no way was I making a threat. I never, never would do such a thing. And Leader McConnell knows that. And Republicans who are busy manufacturing outrage over these comments know that too.
1: Nope, he's a liar. We heard what he said. It was as clear a threat as can be made. He's gaslighting us now, and the media is going to cover for him
0: you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
3: as long as this majority holds the gavel we will never let the minority leaders dangerous views become policy this majority will ensure the only casualties of this recklessness are the reputation of those who engage in it
1: at least cocaine mitch isn't going to back down on this one Look, look, Chuck Schumer was wrong. And that that wasn't I mean, to call that an apology is doing a disservice to apologies. It wasn't an apology. It was a, it was a pseudo clarification full of lies and accusations against the other side. And Chuck Schumer's a disgrace. I and mean, I'm here in New York state. He's one of my two senators. And I, I just can't imagine how anybody casts a ballot for this guy and feels good about it. But people do. People do. And And then that brings me to why right now over this case in louisiana why is it that we are seeing such nastiness uh, abortion extremism is more widespread and it is more hardcore in the democratic party than it has ever been before uh, they we have we have moved a long ways away from clinton and, and others saying that they wanted abortion to be you know safe legal and rare no no Now they've decided that this is something to celebrate on an individual level. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show
0: podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I just listened to the Republican leader and there was a glaring omission in his speech. He did not mention what the rally yesterday, my speech, or the case before the court was about. A woman's constitutional right to choose. To the women of America, what we're talking about here, what I am fighting for here, is your right to choose. An issue, of course, Leader McConnell completely ignored in his speech.
1: Right to choose. Isn't it interesting that this is the this is the fallback phrase always? Why not just say what it is—a right, right to an abortion? Right? That's what they're saying—a right to abortion access. And even the right to celebrate abortions, which we're going to get to in a moment, that was happening at the Supreme Court. Uh, When you know that something is is good, you can speak about it very clearly. You know, when I I talk about individual human dignity or talking about rule of law that applies to all equal uh, all individuals, equally irrespective of race, creed or color, you can be very clear. You can use precise language. You don't have to use politically charged, vague language. You don't have to use phrases that are loaded in, in, in one direction or the other. You can just say what it is you want. You know, this is very straightforward. Someone asked me, oh, do you think that the Constitution gives you a right to bear arms? Yes, I think that individuals should have a right to own, possess, and carry firearms in common usage for the defense of themselves, their homes, and as a bulwark against government tyranny. Very straightforward. I'm not. Yeah, I think that people should have a right to decide whether or not they may wish to carry some form of armament consistent with ever changing local regulation. And that won't upset libs because it doesn't look too scary. No, no. Right. When, When you are when you're talking in moral terms, you can speak with you should speak with clarity. It should be straightforward. Everyone should know exactly what you're suggesting and what you're saying. And it is such a tell. It's such a giveaway that whenever Democrats talk about this issue, it always turns into these these phrases that are uh, that, that are imprecise, that morph into other things that change over time, that are highly loaded, politicized ways of talking about the issue. What are we really saying here? Well, what Democrats want you to know is that there can be they will oppose any restriction whatsoever on abortion at any time during a pregnancy. They will oppose any defunding by the government of any organization that is providing abortions. They will oppose uh, they will create special rules and regulations to protect unencumbered access, meaning physical walking to abortion clinics, which does not, you know, it doesn't happen with other other institutions, right? There are protesters running around, people getting up in your face, uh, they will create special rules, special carve outs within the law to make sure that this is an, an absolute right. What restriction can you what restriction at the federal level exists, uh, exists on abortion right now or or uh, abortion facilities? That would be something proponents of the pro-life position would want. You can't think of one. What, what is it? We we had Governor Northam. And and we're at the point now where because of the Internet and because of social media and, and by the way, people always say don't talk about this stuff on the radio because people turn off. They don't want to hear it. It's too intense. I, I think it's too important to just avoid talking about it entirely. Uh, so uh, apologies for that. We will talk more politics. Apologies for those of you that that this is not something you want to hear as you're. You know, going to work or going home or eating your lunch or whatever it may be. But this matters. It matters to all of us. And this is a, this is an issue of law. This is an issue of morality and, and governance. So I think it's important that we have clarity because we are living right now with a Democratic Party that is deeply immoral, that is propagating evil in the name of women's freedom. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And people can they can attack me and whatever. I I will go to my grave smiling for always having been a proponent of this uh, of this side of the issue. And if nothing else, and I've said this before, it it, it is my my fondest wish that maybe in all the years I've been doing this radio show, perhaps one one woman hearing me talk about this might be moved to say, I'm going to keep the baby. Not every day you could show up to a job and be part of helping someone make the decision to save a life not every day you get to do that right that's something special that's something truly worthwhile so now we get to what what the what this rally was all about and what they're pushing for and what the politics around this are i'm often told that this is that no you know you'll hear when you push somebody in a corner this oh and a woman uh woman doesn't no woman wants to have an abortion, and it's a, it's a very difficult choice. And we always hear about how difficult it is, and it's so challenging and difficult and emotional and difficult. And okay, is that is that really the position of the pro-choice uh, abortion movement? We just call it the abortion movement. I mean, it is that that's what this is all about. It's about aborting aborting uh, unborn babies. And this is, for example, what's said at these rallies. Producer Mark, play clip nineteen.
5: Let's hear for Senator Schumer. Let's hear for all the people who have abortions. Let's hear for our trans folks who have abortions.
1: Let's hear it for all the folks who have abortions. Let's cheer. Let's cheer for it. That's what's going on. You have a crowd of people gathered in the Supreme Court. We're cheering for this, and there are, there are a series of different interviews that are out there right now making the rounds on social media where women are asked about this issue, and some of them will, 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 will number their abortions. They'll say, oh, I've had two, I've had three, and they're proud of it. They think that they're like freedom fighters for women because they've done this. Uh, the, the corruption of the mind and the soul that the Democratic Party has engaged in here is, uh, is something that the country will have to wrestle with for, for hundreds of years to come. Uh, it's it's such a sad thing, you know. I mean, I'm I'm getting older every day now, and I think more and more about what I wish I knew when I was younger. And you know, I just there are some things that I'm very confident in. One of them is that everybody that makes the choice, uh, everybody that makes the choice to, well, makes the choice for life, uh, when they get older and as they look back on their life, they'll always think that that was the right decision. And a lot of people that go the other way do not. They won't talk about this. They won't show you the studies. Uh, they won't have people come forward who, will, you know, they won't give them platforms. I mean, this is also one area where the media, uh, the media, because the abortion regime is so powerful and they are powerful. You cannot be a Democrat who is not an extremist on the issue of abortion. You cannot be one. At, at the national level, you could not run for president. You you will not win in a in, a, in an all blue state. You know, they might let you kind of pretend at the end of the day, if you're in like a state like West Virginia, let's say and you're trying to run as a Democrat, they might let you say that. But when it comes to a vote that matters, oh no, you're going to fall in line with those Democrats. So, and then you look at Planned Parenthood and the amount of money that's given. I mean, I, there, there are very there are huge pools of cash that come from the abortion industry and, and make their way to politicians. Uh, there's also there are a number of very prominent people in the media who either themselves or their spouses have been up, you know, have been advocates for publicly pushing for funding for Planned Parenthood. Uh, they've been, they've some of them have worked for Planned Parenthood. I mean, it's when you start to dig into this, you realize that this is a this is an underworld of immorality that's it's just below the surface. I mean, you you'd have to dig a little bit. Oh, you mean so and so's wife was a regional director of Planned Parenthood, and now now he is reporting on. ...on this Supreme Court issue in a way that always seems to take the liberal side of the argument. What a surprise, right? This keeps happening. You cannot trust them to be honest about what's going on. Uh, you cannot trust them to tell you the truth about this. They won't admit that they're wrong about Trump. They're certainly not going to admit that they are engaged in the greatest moral evil this country has faced since slavery. Right? They will, they will not admit that. Democrats, they, it would really, in a sense... Perhaps be the dissolution of the Democratic Party as we know it. The Democratic Party is effectively at war with the traditional family, with with life, meaning babies being born instead of babies being aborted. Uh, you know, there are some core with with gender. I mean, that that uh, person at the abortion rally saying, let's let's hear it for trans people who have abortions. What? Those are, they're called women. The only people that can have abortions are women. The only that that's it. There's no one else who can have an abortion. Women. There's no trans men who have abortions. That does. That's not a that's not a thing. There are women who have abortions. You can call them whatever you want, but they're still biologically women. Very strange, very strange that uh, we live in in the times we do where where truth is uh, often treated as a hanging offense by the media. I mean, you just get in so much trouble. So I'm trying to think of what else needs to be said here other than. They are uh, outraged at Trump and at Republicans right now because they are they're very frightened at at losing what they feel is the judicial super legislature that the libs have enjoyed for a very long time. This was a one way war. Libs would put the most left wing people possible on the bench, knowing that they were going to be. I mean, just look at the the major Supreme Court uh, decisions since the 1980s. The four libs on the court at any given time always stick together. Conservatives will break. They'll go. Conservatives have saved, you know, saved Obamacare with John Roberts twice. Conservatives will go on, will go with the other side. That happens. Libs never do. On the the key social major issues of of governance and constitutionality, the libs are in lockstep with each other. They want what they want and they're going to get it. Doesn't matter how they. I mean, you know. Then there's look. Ginsburg is is bright. Sotomayor just is not a good lawyer. Is not a very smart legal mind. But I, people are hesitant to say. Kagan's very smart. Sotomayor is just not very good at this. But you know, they 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 wanted to. The Obama administration had had uh, a decision to make about how to make the court more diverse, and they went with Sotomayor. I think they could have made much better choices. Um. I think they should have made much better choices. I think she's really an embarrassment to the Supreme Court, but, oh, I know. We're not allowed to ever say that there are libs who are just not very bright. It's true, though. There are libs who are not. There are conservatives who aren't very bright, too. I mean, I'm I'm the equal opportunity in that regard. Uh, But they're upset because they know that if they lose their judicial supermajority, they may not get things that are very important to the left-wing cause. Mitch McConnell understands this. Play 21, producer Mark
3: judicial independence is what enables courts to do justice even when it is unpopular to protect constitutional rights even when powerful interests want them infringed judicial independence madam president is what makes the united states of america a republic of laws rather than of men it's been almost a century since the last time Democrats threatened to pack the Supreme Court because they wanted different rulings. History still judges that disgraceful episode to this day. So I would suggest that my Democratic colleagues spend less time trying to threaten impartial judges and more time coming up with ideas that are actually constitutional.
1: Nope, they'd rather just get what they want from the lib judges that they ram through when they have a Democrat in the White House. That's That's their plan. We know that's their plan. It has been for decades. You're in the
0: Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
5: You know, I in the legislature, in the Michigan legislature for six years, used to say people to people, yo, yo, you know what? You're so freaking obsessed with what I decide to do with my body. Maybe you shouldn't even want to have sex with me or with you or with any women.
1: That's Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, in case you're wondering. That's the level of discourse that she brings to the Democratic Party. Really high level stuff. I, I think it's clear she's a moron, but she's a dangerous moron. She's somebody who will say whatever to get the crowd fired up on issues where she can't actually speak to what's really going on. She just knows the talking points and screams them at people. And the whole thing about don't even want to have sex with. I mean, I don't even. I don't even. Want to, I'm not even going to touch that. I don't even know what to say. I'm just going to leave that. Uh, another member of Congress on this issue, Ayanna Presley, another one of the, the woke crowd in Congress. Here's what she, she's a, a, a new member of Congress. Here's she's, play seven.
5: And we have two alleged sexual predators on the bench of the highest court of the land with the power to determine our reproductive freedoms. I still believe Anita Hill, and I still believe Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. <laughs> I'm outrageous. Already- because this is outrageous. Let us shadow our righteous rage into voting power, the power to evict the occupant of this White House, to legislate our destiny, to affirm our collective liberation. I stand ready as a partner in this battle to protect the will of the people and ensure every person has the right to self-determination over their reproductive health. The people united will never be defeated.
1: That was a really a, a perfect soundbite in so many ways of what the li, uh, what the lib delusion is here. Uh, people united. I mean, going with, with the the kind of Alinsky mobilizing, community organizing, yelling out on the street. Yeah, it's all about our right for reproductive health. Reproductive health. There is there is no health condition that 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 she's talking about here. That's not that's not part of the discussion. <sighs> but. This is where this is where we are. And the even more uh, in a sense, there's uh, so I, I mean, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it off at this at this segment because I know we got other things to talk about, but I'll just say this. To call Kavanaugh and Justice Thomas sexual predators, first of all, Clarence Thomas was accused of like making some some sexual jokes. That doesn't make you a sexual predator. And only a moron would say otherwise. So let's start with that. Okay, you're not a sexual predator if you make jokes that are inappropriate in the workplace. And he, who knows if he even did. I mean, he said he didn't, and there was no proof. And she followed him around and wanted to keep working with him forever. So I guess it wasn't that bad. But there's a huge anti-male component at the heart of left-wing feminism. Huge resentment of men because left-wing feminists have told them to compete with men in every regard. You're the same as men. You're exactly the same as men. And if they don't view you as such, if they don't treat you as such, not legally equal, equal in every respect. That's why men are now competing in women's powerlifting tournaments, folks. That's happening because of the left-wing delusion that men and women are the same. Break down gender. And if you don't agree with that, you're a misogist, you're a sexist. And she throws in Kavanaugh, too, a lead sexual predator. Only a moron, given the facts, really believes that Kavanaugh is a sexual predator. I mean, that, that is such a smear. Somebody should ask her. Somebody in the press should say, excuse me, I had a press. The third accuser of Kavanaugh said that he was running the gang rape rings in high school that nobody ever heard of from the crazy lady who was clearly lying. Do you believe her? Does she have a right to be believed? We don't have a real press, though. We've got lackeys. We've got journalists. I mean, I despise journals so much. That I honestly sometimes think, I don't even know how long I can stay in this business, because that's how annoying they are. Like, maybe it'd be nice to just, you know, build build homes or write poetry or something. Who knows? But these libs are completely out of their minds. And now we can talk some politics. Thanks for listening
0: to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the
1: iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another one bites the dust. Yeah, that's right. Elizabeth Warren. Out, According to news reports, Uh, the breaking news as I came on the air here is Elizabeth Warren is going to step aside. It'd be very interesting to see if she I haven't seen yet if this is going to be the case, if she endorses Bernie. Or does she try to just get one last little seat on the Biden Express? It's tough to know. Tough to make that call at this point. Got to tell you. I would not be all that surprised if we had Elizabeth Warren say, Wow, well, I, 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 really, I love Bernie, and I was trying to ride the Marxist coattails all the way into the White House, but uh, th- now I just think it'd be, uh, be better to, you know, go with a winner." <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think he'll. You know, It'll be tough to see how she uh, does this one. These politicians, uh, it's for for people who spend so much time talking about service to others and how much they want to help other people these politicians certainly make quite a quite a lot of no, quite, quite a lot of decisions that are really just about themselves as anybody who's paying attention and being honest can attest so elizabeth warren at this point is looking like uh well she's she's out i mean if, if she kind of has to be out i don't even know what the delegate count is but All you have to know about how her Super Tuesday went is she is from Massachusetts, which is a state that has so many great things. You know, Boston's a great town. I went to college in Massachusetts. There's so much to love about Massachusetts, even when it's freezing and it's wintertime. I love it up there. But Man, the politics up there just stink. You know, it's just bad. And uh, she came in not second place. She came in third place in her home state. Producer Mark just gave me the thumbs up. So, if you see me give a weird wink on the, on the, on the Pluto stream, that's because I said, thank you, Mark. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is now Elizabeth Warren coming in third place in her home state in Massachusetts. Third place. Yep. Uh, that's not going to work. That is not going to work. And, you know, now we get to have one of these days where we say, what was it exactly about this person? that made the media so willing to just overlook the glaring deficiencies in her abilities as a politician, uh, where it really was just the the media loves her. They think she's awesome. They're big fans of hers. You know, we had the whole selfie lines phenomenon. And then there was also the issue of her being a, a fake Cherokee. And I, I've got to say, this is something that's just... You know, they've tried to normalize it now and say that it wasn't really a big deal. I mean, here's Elizabeth Warren addressing former presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren addressing why she went around telling everybody that she was a Cherokee Native American for not just a little while, for decades into her late 60s. Or is she 70 now into her 70s? Play it. I am not a tribal citizen. Uh,
5: I had a good conversation last week with Chief Baker, who is chief of the Cherokee tribes. And I told Chief Baker uh, that I am sorry that I extended confusion about tribal citizenship and tribal sovereignty and for harm caused. I am also sorry for not being more mindful of this. Uh, decades ago tribes and only tribes determine tribal citizenship
1: yeah it's not just about tribal citizenship it never was it's very clear to anybody who has dealt with the college and university system in this country for the last let's say last 30 years or so that there are ways to game the system you can gain the system as an applicant, as we've just seen with these people. Someone I think someone just got in the in the college admissions scandal with that that took in Aunt Becky from uh, Full House and a couple of other people. Uh, Felicity Huffman. I never I've never I don't think I've ever seen her acting in anything, but I know she was in the Desperate Housewives show. They got in trouble, felony charges for buying their way into schools. The better way to do it is to just find some. Way to use diversity as a as a you know fake diversity if you can as a back I'm saying if you're trying to scan the system use fake diversity as a backdoor. Somebody who did this ran this experiment was Mindy Kaling's brother. I actually had him on uh, had him on radio, um, and I think he I don't know if he goes by JoJo, but he went by JoJo in his college application. He ran this experiment that showed exactly what many of us would expect. Which is that the university privileges not just non-white minorities in general, but some non-white minorities over others in the application process? But they tell you there are no quotas. This guy uh, uh, Kaling, I, again, his name I th- Jojo is not his. I think that's what he applied and I Forget what his first name is now. Look, it was like four or five years ago we did this. Uh, but he he applied to med school as a an as an Indian, not not, not I mean actually somebody from South Asia, right? A, Proper properly named Indian. And he applied as an Indian and he didn't get in anywhere. Anywhere. And then he applied. He he shaved his head and prominently displayed that he was like a member of the uh, And he, he was he's a he is a darker skinned South Asian guy. And he prominently displayed that he was a member of like the, you know, the black student union or the African-American Student Caucus or whatever it was, you know, very involved in in, in black issues in college, and tried to present intentionally as an African-American. He's like, I'm gonna apply as a I'm gonna he applied to, to med school as a black guy. Falsely, but didn't really. The thing about this is that he didn't lie. He that's he didn't say, oh, I mean, at least if I remember this correctly, he didn't say, you know oh, I am African-American. He just included a photo, put the, you know, changed his name, which was a name that, you know, was a nickname based on his actual name. And guess what? He got into like one of the best medical schools in the country. After getting rejected everywhere. Now, this is the reality of the education system as it is now. I have friends who've worked in admissions committees. This is just the truth. This is why there's that group of Asian American students who are suing Harvard University, and Harvard's just just living in a, in a in a lie about this. Harvard's like, oh no, we just Harvard's answer on that was that Asian students kept somehow getting really low scores for like leadership and personality in the application process, huh? And that's why other minorities, blacks and Latinos, who applied somehow with lesser grades and lesser SATs, kept getting in ahead. Of these Asian students, forget about white students. Of these Asian students, we all know this is a system. By if you are, if you are in fact Native American, a truly Native American ancestry, that is one of the most desirable minority categorizations possible for students and for teachers at in our university system. We all know this is the case. All right. And this is, we, we talk so much about diversity, but we can't really talk about diversity. We're told that diversity is a fantastic thing. What kind of diversity? Don't ask questions. How much diversity? Don't ask questions. Does diversity mean that people who are less qualified than other people get the same job? Don't ask questions. This is the way that we're supposed to exist with this all the time. As I've said, when you're when what you're doing is right and moral, it's easy to talk about, it, isn't it? When, when, you, when you completely and utterly believe in what it is you're doing and the, and the rightness of it, you don't have to use halfway phrases and shut down discussion, end any talk about an issue. when what you're doing clearly has trade-offs you don't want to admit or has consequences or side effects that you don't want to talk about, That's when you do all these other things. And there is no there's just no justification that the left wants to offer up publicly and and honestly for why is it, okay, African Americans legacy of slavery. Affirmative action. There's there's a consistent there's a consistent thread there in the argument. You you can disagree whether that's legal or should be legal or not now to advantage people. But why are Latino students being uh, why why are Latino students more desirable to an admissions committee than uh, a student who's a first generation immigrant from Korea? Just is there why is that the case? Well, let's say it's a representation issue. So then that, that's a quota. Then then you have quotas because you have you know too many, you know, Koreans and Chinese at Harvard and not enough Mexicans and you know whomever, you know, Dominicans, whatever. All right? Well, that's a quota system then. If it's just about the numbers, oh no, 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 no. Well, what is the answer? Oh no, we take a holistic approach. BS. And that's why this lawsuit against Harvard is just going to expose the whole system as a scam. They they're doing they're just doing stealth quotas. I'm talking about wrong Supreme Court decisions. This was another one where you had um, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor in, I think it was Grutter v. Bollinger on this one, say, you know, maybe in 20 years we won't need this anymore. So then we won't need this anymore. We're now having these like temporary legal authorizations for things that clearly violate the Equal Protection Clause. But we really want it right now. We think it's a good thing. So we're going to just do that. That's the way we go. And she said that in the decision that upheld it, 5-4. California got rid of race based admissions preferences. The school system there, the university system hasn't collapsed. There's still lots of people from lots of different backgrounds going to different schools. What you end up seeing, if you really want to know, I know this is a little bit of a departure from Elizabeth Warren, but I think this stuff's important. And this is all about why did she do the scam? And it was a scam. They're going to tell us it wasn't a scam. It was. Elizabeth Warren's a scamster. That's the whole, that was the whole Native American thing. That's why she plagiarized a recipe and put it in pow wow chow because she uh, she was working the system in a way that was really gross in a way that was really unethical actually <laughs> so and now pretends like oh i i just was my mean you know, my daddy and my mommy always told me that i was a, i was a cherokee and so i believed them and just happened to discover this as an adult trying to get prestigious university jobs we're all supposed to think there's nothing nothing really going on there Uh, I know I I now I diverted from my diversion. I even kind of lost my lost my train of thought on on the affirmative action issue. Oh, what they don't want it, what they don't like to focus on. When I say they, the left, they don't like to focus on what happened in California when they got rid of for state universities in California, race based admissions preferences. Uh, Some minorities, specifically black and Latino uh, college students in that system, their numbers went down a little bit at the very most elite universities. But overall, their graduation rates and GPA within that California university system went up a little bit. The indication here is that there are students who really academically are prepared, and I'm not trying to knock on like UC Davis, but they're prepared for like UC Davis or UC Santa Barbara and pushing them into UCLA. Which is a it's is by SAT scores I considered a more elite institution. Just saying, uh, you're not doing them any favors unless you're just giving them a credential that is not based on academic merit because you think that that then will be better off for that group going forward in society. But now you're you're adjusting the system to fit your social engineering preferences. So California, believe it or not, I got rid of and I, I mean it's really in large part because of the very the huge influx of Latino students and also the huge influx of Asian students. So in the state system in California, it, it, there was enough of an impetus to say, OK, uh, we're we're not going to essentially because the people that were being punished in the system when it was race based preferences were Asian students. So they already got rid of it there. Elizabeth Warren knows the game, knows the system and had one of the most bizarre unforced errors I've ever seen in politics. And I'll never forget the head of CNN PR tried to come after me on Twitter when I was making fun of CNN's coverage was like, oh, oh, my gosh, there's we have DNA results. that just came in that uh, Elizabeth Warren. Wow. Proving her critics wrong. She is one one thousand and twenty fourth Cherokee. Wow. She really showed them. I mean, wow. A great day for Elizabeth Warren. Everyone who is normal, who doesn't take their orders from Zucker and co over at CNN was looking at this like, are you guys crazy? That's that's not that's like not Native American at all. I mean, it's like Barry, you know, that's that is actually as Native American as I believe I am, according to my brother. My brother had Ancestry DNA, you know, Ancestry.com or one of those things done. I, I think I'm two percent African, right? By by DNA. So Elizabeth Warren is not Native American at all. For, for no intents and purposes. And yet. And then we got to this thing about oh she didn't tell people when she was she was listed in the Harvard registry as the first Native American professor at Harvard Law School. That's not an accident, okay? And in the well, the Boston Globe, which is completely in Warren's pocket, did an investigation of this. And as part of the investigation, they looked they, they met with professors in the hiring committee for Harvard Law School. And sure enough, There was one guy. They said, oh, no, everyone agreed. There was one guy who was like, oh, yeah, no, that was a big factor. He was some old professor who, like, didn't get the memo that you got to lie about this or or, or else. There was one professor that initially was like, oh, no, we definitely looked at her Native American stuff and thought, okay, that's great. Well, we'll we'll get a Native American professor in Harvard Law's faculty. And then he recanted. Oh, gee, I wonder what happened there. I wonder if he just had his memory jogged suddenly or if— Somebody jogged it for him, like threatened to jog him off a pier somewhere. So Elizabeth Warren is a fraud. She's out. The media was completely enamored with her candidacy. And now we get to hear a lot more about how, oh, it's because she's a woman that she didn't win. You're in the
0: Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast
5: you know everywhere we go we're continuing to draw large numbers of people who are really hungry for the truth for strong leadership and and uh, a candidate that's that's raising the issue that i am about the need for a commander in chief who will have the courage to bring about a, a sea change in our foreign policy end these wasteful regime change wars new cold war nuclear arms race all of which are not making us any safer and actually get our priorities straight redirect our taxpayer dollars Towards serving the needs of people in our communities right here at home. That's exactly what I'm doing.
1: Tulsi Gabbard's still in it, folks. She has not dropped out as of as I go to air here. She has not uh, decided she's gonna stop running for the presidency. Hmm. Okay, I gotta say, I've al- you know, you know, I know some of you give me a hard time about this. I always kind of like Tulsi. Aloha, I've always thought she was kind of cool. I think she's wrong on most stuff, but you got to love the fact that Hillary Clinton calls her a Russian asset. And I mean, if if Hillary hates somebody that much, there's got to be some really good stuff about them. You know, she's the same way that I know that Joe Biden is great on foreign policy because you just have to know what he thinks and do the other thing. Anyone that Hillary Clinton really, really despises in the American political scene is somebody who's got to have some good, you know, got to have some some characteristics that are difficult for Hillary to stomach, like. Uh, decency, integrity, honor, you know, any of the, the, the Hillary's, ah, oh, it's, like, it's like, for Hillary, that's kryptonite, ah, oh, just melts her, just, oh, hates all of those things, those things, those icky, icky traits of an honorable person just get in the way, you know, and Tulsi's also somebody who served in the military, it is it is fascinating to me that we have uh, on, in this day and age, you know, there were really, there was, I mean, Mayor Pete, who served in Afghanistan, and he got a lot of heat from veterans for starting to overplay the whole, I carried weapons of war. Okay, man, I I carried more weapons of war, and uh, i got to be honest with you, in more places, uh, I would never walk around like, I carried weapons of war. There are door kickers, and then there's me in the back trying to help the door kickers find the bad guys, and I never get these things confused. Mayor Pete was, I think, even further further in the back than I was. So, anyway, Uh, but Tulsi is a veteran. And she does exude a real warmth and love for the military. That for the far left of the Democratic Party, let's be honest, it's a problem. They don't like that. The far left of the Democrat Party has always had this thing. Eh, they really, the military for them. They, they politicize the military. They don't really like the military very much, though. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember
0: to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeart Radio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Well, after yesterday's results, the delegate math had become virtually impossible, and a viable path to the nomination just no longer existed. And I will not be our party's nominee. But I will not walk away from the most important political fight of my life, and I hope you won't walk away either. I've always believed that defeating Donald Trump starts with uniting behind the candidate with the best shot to do it. And after yesterday's vote, it is clear that candidate is my friend, and a great American, Joe Biden. I've known Joe for a very long time. I know his decency, his honesty, his commitment to the issues that are so important to our country, including gun safety, health care, climate change, and good jobs. And I've had a chance to work with Joe on those issues over the years, especially when he was vice president. He fought for working people his whole life. And I'm glad to say I endorse Joe Biden, and I hope you will join me in working to make him the next president of the United States.
1: Here's $1,000. Get excited. Each one of you a crisp $1,000 bill. Yay, Bloomberg. Prison Mark, did I mention on the show that he won Aspen? Colorado. I just thought that was awesome. People leave that out. It's only a county in Colorado. You did not. He won Aspen. Of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. I mean, you got to have a, you know, if if you're going to have people show up to vote in a place where legitimately houses are starting in the millions of dollars and people, you know, put out their fire in the fireplace with with Dom Perignon, I mean, you know, you're going to go for Biden. I'm sorry. You're going to go for Bloomberg. Whoops. They went for Bloomberg. I, the the Bs keep getting me confused. There's too many Bs. Biden, Bloomberg, Bernie. Uh, so he won that, and he won American Samoa. 300 votes cast in American Samoa. 55,000 total people on that, on that island. Um, but I, I've been digging more and more into Biden. There was actually a reasonably helpful Politico piece, although you have to love Politico in its reporting on the Chuck Schumer gaffe when with the whole McConnell pours gasoline on Schumer's comments, you know it's like it's just Republicans pounce; these they can't help themselves. Republicans pounce. That's always the way these things are. Whenever a Democrat makes a mistake, just look for the journos to say Republicans pounce. Well, what about the mistake that was made? Do we? How about that as the focus? You know, it would be like if 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 you lit my house on fire and I came up to you and I was like, hey. Why? You really shouldn't have lit my house on fire. And then the reporter's are like, oh, Buck pounces on member of Team Buck for lighting house on fire. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the bigger issue is the burning the burning domicile. But nonetheless, uh, Politico is, is a left-wing site pretending to be something else. But it does do some interesting stuff sometimes. And they had this piece today, 55 Things You Need to Know About Joe Biden. This guy has been. I just want to give you some of this background because he, he, look, he's, and I know, I know, I've taken, you know, producer Mark has said no, no soup for you to me many times over this already. I promise, or I'm lying. He didn't say that, but he, he's looked at me, and I can tell from his his eyes that that's what he's thinking. Because yes, looks like Biden is going to be the nominee. I thought Democrats were more creative than this. They're not. They're going with the oldest, most decrepit, most boring candidate they can possibly find. Uh, you know, I mean, Bernie's old and decrepit, but I mean, you know, he's he's a Marxist. So at least that's that's a little bit of spice thrown in the mix. Uh, and now we've got uh, Joe Biden looking like he's he actually might get this whole thing done in Michigan. Uh, Michigan's in a, in a week or two. Um, he if he has a really good showing in Michigan, which is a place that Bernie actually did well in the last election cycle, uh, that, that's gonna be that that's pretty much it at that point. Because the rest of the industrial midwest is not is going to be very strong Biden territory and and Bernie's not going to really catch up. And if Biden goes into the convention with a delegate lead, which it looks like he is, then does anyone really believe that there's going to be some eleventh hour effort to make Bernie the nominee? No, not going to happen. I mean, look at all the the endorsements are just piling in, piling in for Biden. But you look at his background, you look at his his story, and there's some interesting stuff. First of all, he's from Scranton, perhaps best known as the town or the fictional office for The Office, the Dunder Mifflin paper company. Which I've got to say, I, I do. The Office is an incredible show. I mean, the writing is so good that I I sometimes wish that I could sit down and just. I, I'm wondering what the writer's process is because it is the most consistently funny and well executed comedy that I I think I've ever seen. I used to be more of a Parks and Rec guy, but Parks and Rec has some ups and downs. Some down some down episodes. Some the first season is bad. I think the office is probably the best. Anyway, Scranton, Pennsylvania is where the office is supposed to be. Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, Michael Scott Paper Company, short-lived, but it was there too. Uh, so that's where Biden comes from and look, you know, he's got a, a, a nice story played uh he played halfback at a Catholic prep school. He met his wife, uh, first wife, Nelia uh, Hunter, on spring break in the Bahamas. Oh, that sounds like fun. And uh, they married in 1966. Bo Biden was born in 1969. And then Hunter Biden, who we're going to be hearing a lot more about, was born a year later. Biden said in a 1970 interview, quote, I'm not a keep him barefoot and pregnant man. But I'm all for keeping them pregnant until I have a little girl. The only good thing in the world is kids. I like it. I mean, that's a, ni- a nice, a nice sentiment. Actually, uh, I-, I gotta have some kids. I don't know if producer Mark's gonna beat me to the kid finish line here, but gotta have some kids one day. One of one of us at some point on this show will be able to celebrate the birth of of some young ones.
4: I welcome you to beat me. Please yeah? go ahead.
1: You got some more? Well, you're like 25, aren't you? You're-
4: no, I'm turning 27 in a month. Woo! Uh, I'm getting old. Man. That's like
1: I think you could actually rent a car and not
4: pay the uh, higher rate now. Look at you. Yeah, my car insurance will go down, because
1: I'm older. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a a, a gray-beard millennial in the making over here. There we go. So Biden was I I just think, you know, this is worthwhile if you want to know about this guy, Joe Biden, because, you know, we see him. He's a corn pop and the blonde hair on my legs. And I yell. And sometimes I get a little southern for no reason. I say y'all when I want to seem folksy, even though I'm from Delaware. I think we should know more of the backstory of this guy. He was drafted after finishing law school, but he got a uh, well, he was. What is it? Is it four? Is it four F? I don't know what the designation is when you're drafted and you are essentially told you can't for health reasons. Um, But he had asthma. Uh, So he didn't end up going to Vietnam because of his asthma. Now, you know, okay, I I guess that's a legit reason. I just would note the media has savaged Trump for bone spurs for not going to Vietnam. You know, I, my I always thought bone sport bone spurs were operable. By the way, am I am I mistaken with that? I, I don't know, but and I'm just gonna know. And by the way, Bill Clinton being a draft dodger, which is a whole other thing, that was fine with the media. They're fine with that. So I'm just trying to keep. I want to keep us as consistent as we can be here. They have called. They called Trump a coward because of his bone spurs. Does Biden still have asthma? Did he always have asthma? Do we just? Uh, mm, I, I'm I'm just asking questions, right? As, as everyone says when they're poking around and don't want to get in trouble. I'm just asking questions. Uh, let's see here. He, uh, if he's elected in uh, this, he'll be. He's now 77 years old. If he wins this election, he will be the oldest president ever inaugurated. He has been a United States senator since he ran when he was 29 years old. So he wanted to do this right away. Um, now, he did lose, and I, I mentioned this before, he lost his wife and young child, and all, his two boys, Bo and Biden, were badly hurt in a car crash, which is a horrible tragedy. I also have to point out that, and Kevin Williamson wrote about this in National Review this week, that Biden on the you know openly and, and on the record, has lied about that incident in the past claiming that the truck driver who ran into the car that his wife and children were in was, had, had drunk his lunch, it was, was drunk driving. He has made that, which is a, a total lie. And the children of the now-deceased truck driver have for years begged Biden to stop lying about their father. Uh, the, the police report said that Joe Biden's wife— drove into the other lane now obviously it's an accident it's a horrible mistake but that you don't have to to get additional sympathy for yourself you don't get to lie and malign another human being and think about the impact that has on you know his family and everything to say that he committed a criminal act and that's why that's a horrible thing to say joe biden's done that uh that's that's joe biden's a liar they're going to have a tough, t- you know, we had that guy, Cenk, who was freaking out yesterday, and I played his his clip for you. But, you know, I dealt with this uh, on, on Bill Maher, where anything I tried to say about coronavirus is Trump's a liar. Trump's a liar. That's all they say. I said, well, I mean, can we talk about what he's doing or can we talk about the, no, Trump's a liar. Anything else is BS. Trump, this is just, it's, it's like a tick. They can't get past this. Well, They're going to have an interesting time explaining, how is Joe Biden not a liar? Joe Biden's a liar. He lies on some big things, and he lies when he doesn't have to. He's very comfortable lying. So, you know, and that's you don't lie about stuff like that. You don't lie about somebody else being responsible for killing your wife and child in a car accident in a way that they would be negligent and criminally liable for. You don't get to destroy someone else's reputation for doing that. That's not okay. Biden got a lot of heat because in the 70s he opposed court-ordered busing, as I've told you. Uh, People don't think through the busing issue very much. They think it's a very, you know, cut and dry. This is absolutely what needs to be done. There's no question. Uh, Okay, but a lot of people, a lot of young African-Americans didn't want to be bused. They wanted to stay in their community with their friends near their families. They don't get a say in this. Nope. Because, let's be honest, a bunch of white lib Democrats thought this was a great idea and didn't care what the people that it was supposed to help actually thought about it. Um, and then, you oh, by the way, there are also young white students that were sent, you know, way across town, hour each way in the bus. And you know, somebody who's spending like an hour and a half every day in the subway, let me tell you. I mean, the commutes wear you down. They wear you down. One of the great advantages of the modern world we live in now is increasingly the ability to to work more remotely, to get more work done remotely, to be able to mold your schedule. You know, we, we've we gotten away, in the, and this is a, a departure from the Biden talk, but we've gotten away from the early industrial revolution concept of like show up, you know, eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours in a place doing this thing all day. It's, it's you're in place of machinery and your productivity is just hours and labor. There's no you know, there's there's no creativity, there's no accelerating your process, uh, to we got to kind of cubicles and more nine-to-five and, you know, air-conditioned rooms and all, OK, but increasingly we want to just be, what is the job, what is productive, what do you need to do? And wherever you can do that is acceptable. That, I think that's a huge a huge step in, in the right direction. Um, and And commuting really long distances, I'm hoping for most people, will be a thing of the past increasingly over time. Uh, It already is changing. He is a, quote, self-described gaffe machine. This is what I was talking about with Biden being a liar. He falsely said he was shot at in Iraq. He falsely said he met the survivors of the 2018 Parkland, Florida shooting while he was vice president. That happened after he left office. He falsely claimed he was arrested while trying to visit Nelson Mandela in apartheid era South Africa. And so on and so forth. That's just, those are just the ones they list here. Those are lies. The guy's lying, right? I mean, he, he is lying about this stuff. Uh, and they're, they're going to have to defend all this, I suppose. In 1987, he ran for president the first time. Do you remember what happened? Oh, yeah. Another little ethical lapse. He plagiarized speeches by Margaret Thatcher and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock falsely referring to ancestors of his who worked in the coal mines. He didn't have ancestors working in coal mines. He's a liar, folks. He just lies. Classic, classic cynical politician. Um, let's see what else we have. He presided over the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court confirmation. Told you about that. He later apologized and said he didn't give her a fair hearing because he realized he was supposed to finish off Clarence Thomas. That was That was what he was supposed to do. But he didn't do it. And uh, he voted against the use of force to drive Iraq out of Kuwait in 1991, which now is generally considered to have been a very successful intervention with very limited, although people might extend the first Iraq war into the second Iraq war. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, he said that he called to his face Slobodan Milosevic a quote damned war criminal. Nope, no, he didn't. And he says that, you know, it, it, you go through this and uh, there's a recurring theme here that he just. Lies a lot. He tells a lot of stories that are not true, and he's also going to have to defend his son getting $50,000 a month for Burisma and saying that that's fine. Perhaps he should just go around saying it was a perfect board position. Just take that approach. That's what the media has been doing for him.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: They say the most important thing that a president does is the court system and in particular Supreme Court judges. So I've named 218 new federal judges. Can you believe it? And that's a record. That's a record. Only one person beat me percentage wise. You know who that is, right? Does anybody know? Percentage wise is only one. And when you look 218, because President Obama was very nice, he left 142. To start off with, usually you'd left none. I had 142. But do you know who the one percentage wise was? George Washington. He had 100 percent. But it was like 12 people. 12.
1: At least I can say I named more than him. A lot more. Two things about this. One is that the, uh, the those of us uh, on the right, anybody who felt like they were uncertain about Trump, but recognized that if he would he, he has been the best. Uh, when it comes to appointing judges, not just the number of judges, but the the bona fides, the credibility of these judges as conservative constitutionalists, it exceeds anything that any any other president has ever done. I mean, it's certainly in the modern era. So he's the best on judges and people who thought that was a big reason to vote for him, even if they didn't like some of the, the tweets or the comments or whatever. That was a, that was the, the right move in that bargain. And then uh, it's also why the libs. I mean, take us back to earlier in the show it's why the libs are so panicked about the judiciary right now because they know that they can't just rely on you know there's the deep state of the FBI trying to help the Democrats here and there the deep state of the DOJ the ultimate deep state in a sense is the left wing activist judiciary and Trump is hollowing that out and replacing it with people who will actually be fair to the law and the constitution which is what we want it's not like our side's like yeah give us everything else we want too we just want that they don't thanks for listening to the butt sex and show podcast remember to subscribe
0: on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts
5: the candidates also
0: have to have to be willing to admit russia interfered
5: last time they're interfering this time yeah. uh we know that even the trump administration has to admit that uh, so the propaganda the lies the disinformation the theft of information and all of that that went on last time is going to be back and so it's not. Not only the candidates, although they have to be prepared to take it on, but voters need to be aware of all that.
7: What
2: what, what advice do you have to the voters?
5: Really pay attention. Don't get uh, fooled by the propaganda. Just because something pops up in your Facebook feed, don't think it's true. I'm really very sad that Facebook has said we're not going to take down false information. Candidates, and particularly Trump, is doing this. You can pay to put lies on Facebook, and that's really slickly produced. People think it's true, really be skeptical about what's coming in the Facebook feed or really any kind of um, social media information that you get, because so much of it is manipulated. You don't know where it's coming from.
1: Oh, OK. So now Hillary has told us not to look at lies on the Internet and believe them. So I guess that takes care of that. I mean, look, the, the whole Russian interference thing, the reason Libs talk about this. Well, there's a lot of reasons they talk about it so much. But one of them is just. That that's, that's their their psychological fail-safe for why did Trump win the last election? Well, there was interference, Russian interference. I'm not saying it's why Trump won, but I'm not saying it's not. That's what they do. It's childish, and the president understands this, and I know that it has been very troubling for him. This has been very bothersome for the president of the United States, I mean, as it, as it should be, um, but this is, this is where it is right now. They still talk about this. They have learned no lessons. They are not the least bit chastened after the last time around, not chastened after the Russia collusion Mueller probe being a total farce or impeachment over the Ukraine phone call. I mean, it's just, And they never learn. I, they've they've really lost it. I mean, I say it. I've seen it. I've been around it recently. I've had to talk to libs and the media and elsewhere who are completely out of their minds. And this is where it is. But I will say Molly Hemingway is a pretty great over on Fox News. I uh, really like her stuff, like her work. And she, uh, I'm just saying, who does she sound like here? Remember, uh, you know, my, my show came out before this show. I'm just, I'm not saying that she. This is other people thought this too, but I'm just saying, great minds think alike. Here, here's Molly on the whole Russia, well, the lessons of Russian interference. As we see it through the lens now of Bloomberg's campaign, play clip four.
5: But I also think it's interesting that Bloomberg is out. You know, we had years where people were saying a couple hundred thousand dollars in barely literate Facebook ads from Russians caused Donald Trump to win. <laughs> Here you had a guy spend nearly a billion dollars and he went
2: nowhere. It's a humiliating defeat for Michael Bloomberg. Just, just rewind a second. That is a great point. So Russia influenced the election with 200,000, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads. That? And Mike Bloomberg couldn't get more than 50 delegates
5: with and, five six hundred million dollars it's bernie sanders message too because he likes to say the billionaires control everything well here clearly uh, bloomberg having all this money didn't do as much for him as biden having the media and the establishment behind him did i would pick media and establishment
1: who does that sound like i love it brett bears like that's a great point i'm like well i wish brett listened to the buck sexton show because what did i say yesterday it's exactly yeah, this is my, this is what i've been saying the whole Russia, Russian interference thing has been always so overblown, so exaggerated. Yeah, Russia interfered. I'm sure Russia's going to interfere. If you were able to do an analysis, you'd probably see Russia's been interfering in our elections for the last 100 years in some way. Paying off journalists, sell, you know, sending propaganda, trying to give people some incentive to take a more pro-Russian line or pro-Soviet line back during the Soviet Union. I mean, Russia's been involved for a long time in this. We involve ourselves. America gets involved in foreign elections all the time, too. We don't like hack into politicians' email accounts and try to do that that game, but we we have favorites that we want and we we look, we've pushed for we've been engaged in coups, we've done all kinds of stuff. So I just think this is a this is another way that liberals insulate their their brains from having to deal with the truth of, of the Trump presidency, which is that liberal ideas were, after eight years of Obama, a lot of it was rejected. People didn't like what was going on, and they wanted something else. Or at least a majority, as seen as seen through the Electoral College, chose something else. And that's that's the world that we live in. They can try to deny it. They can try and do whatever they want to make it seem like something else is happening. But they're just really ultimately fooling themselves. Um Hillary though is still on the side, on the sidelines, making these, making these uh, little pronouncements as if we really need to still hear from Hillary Clinton on any of this. But she seems to think so. Uh, she also went with the usual lib talking point about coronavirus, which I will uh, now get to here. This is what Hillary Clinton says about coronavirus. Play ten.
6: Were you uh, surprised with how the uh, Trump administration handled it? Or? I wish I could say I was surprised.
5: I, um, <laughs> I, you know, this, this is something that you can't just insult or pretend is a hoax. Uh, despite how hard he's trying. Uh, you really do have to listen to people who actually know something. There's a terrible shortage of of testing kits. They need to make sure that state and local health departments and governors and mayors and others have the resources they need with hospitalization. So there's a lot of work to be done. And, uh, you know, if, if he will quit calling it a hoax and actually let the experts do their job, I think that'll work out better.
1: This is all nonsense. The Trump administration is holding like press conferences every day. He didn't call coronavirus a hoax. People who say this are being preposterous. It's, it's aggressively stupid to say this, and they continue to do it. He obviously, in every regard, does not think coronavirus is a hoax. The media exaggerating it and saying that his response is inept when we don't even have any ability to judge what the response is That is what he's referring to as a hoax very clearly, very clearly. But this is now this is now where we are on this one. This is what we're going to continue to hear. They will not change. They will not shift. Oh, yeah. Here here's Vice President Pence talking about a thing that Trump obviously doesn't believe exists. Right. Because it's a hoax. Right. That's what the idiots are saying. Click clip bait.
8: And we were pleased to learn that uh, just shortly ago, the House of Representatives passed a federal funding bill uh, by a virtually unanimous margin. It will now move to the Senate. And the, the legislation implements the president's vision to ensure that not only do our federal agencies have the support and resources that they need, but also that our state and local partners have their support. And in my conversations with governors all the way through this afternoon, I know they're grateful for the bipartisan spirit. Spirit that is characterized of this funding bill And we'll continue to work through that process As President Trump said We're all in this together And he deployed a whole of government approach But uh, thanks to the President's leadership It has actually developed into a whole of America approach And the meetings today with industry leaders Is a reflection of that
1: Why is he talking about a hoax, right? People keep telling me that, that Trump doesn't think that it's real, but he's got a task force. He's, uh, they've now got $8 billion appropriated for this. They're meeting with you know state and local leadership, talking to them on the phone, doing everything. They, they're doing everything they can. It is no matter what you think of Trump, as I've said from the beginning, and I said this on Bill Maher's show, and nobody was listening because they're crazy. Uh, Trump does not want pa- this pandemic to get out of control. He's going to do whatever he can and yeah he's listening to experts trump doesn't think he's a pandemic expert of course he's going to going to take the cdc into account and and take their expertise as as a necessary part of trying to to deal with this but it's just so much easier to just fall into this trump anti-trump rage all the time and that's what the liberals seem to like to do they just are so comforted by the notion that donald trump is this this evil almost like satanic presence Well, I don't know. Some libs seem to think Satan's fine. But this this evil, you know, racist, misogynist, worse than Satan, misogynist, uh, you know, that that, that's who he is. And whatever makes them think that is fine. I mean, whatever they have to believe, whatever is going to be the narrative that they share with their friends and that they post on their Facebook pages that has to do with Trump being absolutely the worst person ever. That is completely justified in their minds. I, I assure you, he doesn't want coronavirus to get worse. There is now some disagreement out there about what what I've been telling you which is that it's likely and if you look back at the I think it's H H1N1 um if you look back at that case uh, that case study you see that they initially thought that the fatality rate was much higher than it ended up being when they really tallied all the numbers. I think that's probably true of coronavirus now. There's also a very big differential that we'll continue to see between fatalities from this disease in a country with Adequate resources, you know, high-level medical treatment, and and you know, because there are there are things that they can't cure this, but they can help your you know help your lungs get oxygen and keep you know IV fluids in you, and that there are things that can be done to help somebody that's having a, a tough time defeating this uh, this virus. There are things that our medical system can do that a lot of other medical systems either are incapable of doing in large numbers or perhaps don't even have the basic capabilities that we do depending on what we're talking about so i, I keep saying and you know, i know the market's down again today it's probably gonna be up tomorrow probably down the next day it's gonna be choppy for a while because people are scared and there are a lot of people that want to make sure they take more money off the table because you know i was just watching uh, peaky blinders season five which so far is not very good by the way and i love the show peaky blinders so i'm a little disappointed first episode was kind of huh uh, but they they start with the stock market crash of 1929, and they say they lost 90 percent of everything they had in the market. You know, people remember. You know, if you look at the stock market overall, yeah, it's been going up and up and up and up and up for I don't know since like 1960, right? It's just been on a on a glide path higher and higher. Um, but there have been times when things got pretty ugly, and especially if you're near retirement or you're somebody that is going to need cash now for to sustain their life, uh, sustain their spending and their lifestyle, I can understand why there's some concern. So, I'll continue to look at this and, and try to work in the economic... Because there, there are two things here. There's the financial risk that we're all under now because of coronavirus, businesses, individual investments, 401ks, pension plans, all these things. And then there's also the systemic economic risk, that could manifest itself in different voting this fall. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that Biden's some genius on the because we all know he's not some genius in the economy could just be. Yeah, they want to change because the economy is looking real shaky and Biden's going to make all kinds of promises. So I've been worried from the very beginning, a recession is the one thing that could sink Trump's reelection. Coronavirus could be the spark that leads to that recession.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: So we're talking about the economy and markets. I thought I'd bring in an expert. As you guys all know, I have done work for years with uh, Stansbury Research. Scott Garlis is a senior analyst at Stansbury Research. He's all over this stuff day in and day out. He joins us now. Scott, thanks for making the time. I know you're busy. Oh, Buck, I appreciate you having me. All right, so... People are worried, sell-off, and then big gains, sell-off, and then big gains. Uh, what do you see happening now in the markets? Is this? You know, I keep telling people, don't panic over corona. Should they panic over where the market's going? No, they shouldn't.
7: Um, th- this is typically what happens when volatility spikes. And what we're seeing is the market's worried. Wall Street money managers are just they are worried about the growth picture. And what they're worried about is the uncertainty. And so <clears throat> their number one job is to protect their clients' assets. So... Sometimes what you see on Wall Street is when people become uncertain, the first thing they do is they sell first and they ask questions later. So it doesn't mean they're getting rid of everything they own. It just means they're taking a little bit of money off the table, just trying to be safe, just in case. Um, And I think what is going to wind up happening, what comes out of this is – If you have a long term horizon, this is going to create opportunity for you. But in the process, there's volatility. And as volatility spikes higher, that means the market's going to swing around more. So we're going to see days like this. Um, And one of the big things we've seen come out of this is short sellers. Um, Short short interest has increased huge. Uh, There's a report I was reading earlier that in the last week, short sellers those are people who sell the market higher and hoping to buy it lower. They've made $50, over 50 billion dollars in revenue just in, in paper money. So that doesn't mean they've cashed out yet, but on their mark to market positions, they're they're way up right now.
1: So you think and that's you that's think obviously that's- a pressure. That's a sort of speculative pressure, or speculators' pressure on on the market. I wanted to ask you though, what what should people look for? When what would make you worry? I mean, we just had the Fed rate cut, and then right afterwards there was a dip in the market, but then it recovered the next day. As you said, it's choppy. What is worrying, uh, or rather, what is a truly worrisome scenario for where the economy and the markets are going this year? A, a worrisome
7: scenario would be if the economy totally shut down, and that would cause problems in credit markets. Now, could we withstand sort of a short term blip in ter- terms of the economy shutting down? Sure, we could. It, it's if it really started to extend and go on for months and months. That would be a big problem, because then if you have people start defaulting on loans, then you have a situation sort of like what happened in the financial crisis, where then it's hard for businesses to get loans, and that has a a spiraling effect and it builds on itself. Right now, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. It it seems like this will you know it'll it'll hit the economy sure, but is it going to last forever? It doesn't seem like it.
1: What do you think about precious metals, by the way? I mean, people always think about safe haven assets in this kind of a period. I know that people used to talk about crypto as a safe haven. Crypto seems like it's at least the most well-known ones haven't had some huge rebound during all this uncertainty. If if you see a big spike in gold, is that something that people should pay attention to?
7: No, you know, I, I think what's going on there too. You got to remember, the Fed's cutting rates, so the dollar's worth less, right? So if that happens, it takes more dollars to buy less gold. Um, and it's it's yes, safe haven assets. They should always be a part of your portfolio. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be your entire portfolio. Um, but they're gonna happen. They're gonna spike in times
1: like these. It's it's pretty normal. It's and in what you've actually. What's that? I was going to say. Well, what are, what are we? What is a a true? You know, when the markets do what, or, or how will we know that we're? Yeah, obviously, a lot of this is coronavirus. But how much of this, though, do you think was actually Bernie Sanders uh, as a as a socialist, possibly being the Democrat frontrunner? Do you think that was affecting the way the, that the markets were reacting to?
7: One hundred percent. That has a compounding effect, um, and I think you saw that with the Super Tuesday results yesterday it now looks like Biden's gotten all all the momentum back. And the way the markets are looking at Bernie Sanders is he, again, he is a big unknown and they're worried about some of the policies he would institute in terms of regulation, in terms of taxes, how is he going to pay for his Medicare for all plan? Um, Yeah. And he's he's short on specifics on that. And, but they're thinking those things will happen. And if, if, taxes go up and regulation goes up, they're worried that that's going to mean less business is going to get done. There's going to be less spending. Uh, Biden is looked at as more of the status quo. So yes, is he going to have different policies than Trump? Sure he is, but it's going to be better for the market in general. And that's why we saw the rebound. You know, and until we have something decisive from the Democratic Party in terms of who their candidate's going to be, we're going to see some of these swings off of that as well.
1: And what does it look like when we're out? of I mean, we've only got about a minute here, uh, Scott, but what does it look yeah. like when we're out of the woods, so to speak?
7: When we're out of the woods, those are going to be the days when we see negative news and the market has no problem
1: digesting that. And it just continues to go up. All right. That's well, going to that's going to be when we're out of the woods. All right. Scott Garlis, everybody, senior analyst at Stansbury Research. You can go to stansburyresearch.com. Uh, I've worked closely with those guys for years. Scott, thank you so much for your time.
7: Buck, really appreciate
1: it. Have a great day. See, guys, I, I think we're going to be okay. I keep saying it. I, you know, we, I, every day I come to work now. There's more and more people I see with masks walking around on the streets and everything. The masks don't save you, by the way. It's not really worth. It's not worth anyone's time if you're not sick. There's no reason for you to have a mask on. But you know, I, I think we're going to be okay. I don't want to be overly optimistic. I just, I feel like we'll push through this and we'll be all right. And yet there's such an incentive for two reasons in the media. One is just the fear factor, which gets people to tune in, which spikes ratings. And then also anything bad for the country right now is bad for Trump in their minds. It's an election year. And so there is a media incentive to focus on the negative. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
0: Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a team buck party. Cause a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got bucks turned up to 11.
1: It's time for roll call. It is time for roll call, but I did at the top of the show, uh, give you a preview of a story that I, I didn't want to skip past. Uh, border uh, Border Patrol has picked up, I think it's almost, let me make sure I give you the right number. I think it was, uh, let me see. Yes, Chinese nationals, 328 Chinese nationals who have tried to enter the U.S. southern border illegally. Um, this is... This is something we need to pay attention to, folks, because, you know, if you if you're going to start talking about quarantines and travel restrictions, doesn't that also have to. And that's just so far this year, 328 illegal migrants from China, according to the Department of Homeland Security. So if we're going to look at this and we're going to talk about how many people are coming into the country uh, legally on flights and we're going to have bans on flights, we also need a secure southern border. All right. And, you know, when you imagine if some imagine right now, if a flight arrived from from Wuhan, China with 300 people on it and they were just let completely unscreened, let go in the United States. I I think people would have concerns about that right now. Right. Well, that you know, we've had 300 people. In, in this year, and coronavirus, as we know, hit in December, so it was already out there, 300 people plus this year from China have illegally crossed in the United States and been caught by a border patrol. Um, those are the ones that have been caught. The actual number uh, By the way, uh, you've had three other people from South Korea were caught at crossing illegally, um, 122 people from the Dominican Republic where, where they've also been had coronavirus detected. So, uh, you know, a secure southern border is not just some Trump talking point. It matters. It's about our safety. All right. There are real reasons for this. And I, just, I didn't want to leave that story and not, and not actually give you the, the so what on it. Um, all right. Roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And uh, we shall get to it. Patricia. Hey, Buck, I've been standing in line for an hour and a half to vote and estimating at least another two hours before I can actually cast my vote. I find it appropriate to write you in light of your experience in The Bill Maher Show as I listen to your podcast. California has spent about $30 million on these new machines, and this is the worst election system and the most time by far I've had to wait in line on any election in 30 years. But I believe it is my duty to stand up for President Trump and try to keep California from going off the deep end. These are the consequences of allowing terrible democratic policies to go unchallenged. What is what is what is one to do when they live? Mm, okay, and hopes to keep from self-destruction. The place that has become ground zero for Trump derangement syndrome. Love your show. Uh, yeah, um, Patricia. I don't know what to do about saving California. It might be beyond it might be beyond political salvation at this point. And thank you so much for writing in. It's such a poorly managed state. It should be in such better shape than it is. But, you know, it it, it has so much in the way of natural resources. You know, California is kind of like, as a state, it's almost like a trust fund brat. You get these people who, as adults, they've inherited all this money, and they want to tell everybody how they made awesome decisions. Look at all the money they have. And some of them do make good decisions. Some of them become very prominent politicians. Uh, But also, some of them make terrible decisions, but they say, well, I'm still rich, and I still have money. Well, yeah, it's because you 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 started off with that. How are you doing with what you have? Are you running out? And it can take time to run out. Are your bad decisions heading in that direction? That's kind of California is like a trust fund brat state because it has so much natural beauty, natural resources. There's so much about you know a perfect weather. There's a lot about that place to to admire and and to and is desirable. But the way that it's being run as a state is just just nuts. Steve, hey, Buck. I've been a Freedom Up believer of what you've been putting down since the days of Real News and GBTV. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Just listening to yesterday's podcast, waiting for spring to arrive here in New Hampshire, and I had a thought on the burn. Do you think at age 78, being used as a pawn by the Democrats for years, and the fact that he's always been an independent, that the burn would have the guts to run as an independent? Just thinking, with the DNC making deals to get Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bader to voice their support onto Biden on the eve of Super Tuesday, the burn has been screwed over once again. Anyway, just a thought. Shields High Buck. Nah, Steve. I don't think. I think Bernie knows why. Why run as an independent? He, 100% just going to be a spoiler if he does that. There's no way he's going to win as an independent. It's just the, the math doesn't work. So then you have to get to okay. Well, why then would you do that? and it would just be out of spite to take down Biden as a Democrat candidate. And the Democrat apparatus is still powerful and influential enough that you really don't want to be that guy. So I, I be honest, I just I do not see that happening. Scott. Hey, Buck, been following you since the Blaze days. Now I download your podcast every day. You make more sense than others. Love your impersonations of Bernie and Bloomberg. Shields high. Thank you, Scott. High five. Good things. Appreciate it. Um, Amy writes. I absolutely love you and producer Mark. Y'all cracked me up, and I love, love, love your imitations. Thank you, Amy. Maybe producer Mark's gonna do some imitations someday. You know, producer Mark, do you have any? Do you have any impersonations you're working on?
4: I'm working on a great
1: Buck Sexton one. That's I could I could yeah. see that that's coming along. You might have to. We might have to get you a wig. You have very short hair. I do. So that's gonna sure throw enough, people off.
4: If I work here long enough, I'll have no hair. Yeah.
1: Well. Yeah. But yeah. you know, we got to get you like a. Like a pat you know, the, the little piece that goes in the on the head of the um, of the Lego character. Yeah, like a toupee kind of. Deal. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we gotta get you like one of the, but it'd be like the Lego. If we got a Lego man hairpiece for you, I think your buck impersonation would go up a few a few notches.
4: Now, would it be actual Lego? Like, where would it? Yeah, like it'd it be like the plastic
1: Lego. It have to be like human size though for you. Obviously. Yeah, but like, how
4: would it stay on my head?
1: We'd figure it out. All right, because like I
4: don't have like a Lego. No, what there's no little hole it? in there's the no top of your hole, skull.
1: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I assume they would leave that out and maybe it would just be some double sided
4: tape or something. That's actually what I used at my wedding to keep the yarmulke on my head. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and stayed on. So I there did. we go. Yeah. There, there yeah. We go. Uh, Diane.
1: Hey, Buck, regarding boomers who put off retirement, I'm a boomer and I've decided to retire at 70 because I have a desk job that I enjoy. I think the retirement age should be raised to seventy anyway. The average lifespan of Americans has risen with all the advances in healthcare. There's no need to retire early, so unless you have a physically unless you have a physically demanding job. Anyway, my two cents. Keep up the great work, Shields. high. Well, Diane. I think you're right. I mean, I think the retirement age, for a lot of reasons, should be raised. Uh, I, I think that I'm pretty sure here at the in New York at the NYPD, the police department for the city of New York. I'm pretty sure that you can retire with full pension and benefits after 20 years no matter how old you are. And I think that's true. And I, I was never uniformed officer, so I don't really know that much about the pensions. But I think what that means is that if you were to join at, like, say, age 20 or 20, I don't know if you have to have a bachelor's degree to be NYPD. I forget now. I don't think you do. I, I think you just need a high school diploma. So if you join the NYPD... At age, let's say nineteen or twenty, I think you can retire with full pension and benefits uh, by, by in your forties. Yeah, there are guys who do that.
4: I don't know how old my uncle was when he retired, but it was two thousand and one, and he's in his sixties. Sixties now.
1: Yeah, you yeah. can retire full pension and benefits in your forties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta say that's a pretty sweet. Pretty sweet gig. And those guys usually get like security and consulting gigs afterwards if they've had a pretty distinguished career in the NYPD. You know they, they can do pretty, they do mean, pretty well. To
4: be fair, they are taking bullets and certain. No, parts dude. The I, I'm,
1: I mean, of course, I'm not saying
4: that. I'm just saying it's a good, it's a, it's a yep. pretty sweet setup. But you have you to know. put your life on the line for 20 years.
1: Well, it's hey, you got to put your life on the line, but even beyond that, you also got to be like standing on a freezing cold street corner. Yes. you got to keep your hat on. You Have to be in good there's, shape. You got, you know, there's a. You have to be in reasonable shape. I think, do you? I mean, I mean my—I have an uncle who was LAPD, and he—he he said that they were far more rigorous on the physical standards than than New York cops. Because he also worked uh, here in New York. He's been a cop in a few places. He was—he has a pension from from the LAPD. I think he also has one from New York, but yeah. not a full pension. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he said that the LAPD was. But you know, those guys—they I mean, gotta go to the beach. They gotta take their shirts off. Got to put on the board shorts on the weekends. True. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's a little different, you know. They got to have those show muscles
4: here. Eight months out of the year, you're you yeah. Know, you got a, a big coat. jacket yeah. on and all this okay. stuff. Whatever. That's probably that's probably true.
1: But yeah, that would be. I am nowhere near. Reti- I don't think I'm ever going to be able to retire. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna die at my
4: desk. You also don't have a physically taxing
1: job. Hey, radio requires a lot of energy. I will have you know, a lot of bluster and energy, Patrick. Hey Buck, I've been listening for about two and a half years. Your insight helps keep me centered to my principles in this den of iniquity. I stopped at the local fire department to vote Tuesday after work because I refused to promote the fraud-ridden practice of mail-in ballots. I was in and out in less than fifteen minutes, but was shocked by two things while there. Number one, the person who printed my ballot asked for my name and address to look up my registration and mentioned my father's name being on the voter rolls. This surprised me because he hasn't lived in California in fifteen years. When I asked about it, the attendant said, I don't know, and moved on as if it was no big deal. Hmm. They did not ask for ID. I had my wallet in my hand with my ID ready. Yep. Libs don't like voter ID. They don't like it. I, don't know. I mean, that's just, that's the reality. They don't like voter ID. They think it's uh, voter suppression in disguise, even though the Supreme Court in a case with in Indiana said voter ID is okay. As a, as a general rule, voter ID is okay. But now there's also um, the Voting Rights Act. I think they struck down Section Five, but there are other provisions of the V of the VRA that have a formula for whether there's been discrimination in the past, and that could affect you know voter ID. And oh, that's why they pay lawyers so much money. They gotta like just sift through all this crap for hours at a time. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Brian, love points on etiquette when in public, on device etiquette, rather. People are so rude. Yeah, you're telling me, Brian. I've got two boys, three and six. If my wife and I go out to eat dinner with them, I'm guilty of putting a screen in front of them. But my boys know I have zero tolerance policy for having volume on, as neither I nor any patrons around me should have to listen to Baby Shark. Baby Shark. That was for producer Mark. I also recognize I only have a 47-minute window to sit my kids down, feed them, and maybe have enough time for a quick bite, drink, and conversation with my wife. After that, my kids are in the red. We have to go. Now, Brian, responsible parents are just that, responsible parents, and respectful parents are the people around them. It's, it's, that's no problem at all. It's the people who think that they Don't even think don't, I know what you think you're going to do. Don't even what? try. What do you think I'm going to do? Don't even You're going to start playing some whistle nonsense No, in there. I I'm I'm gonna wasn't gonna going flip to. I'm going to
4: flip this table. I wasn't going to. I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place. I was going to add it to the conversation. Oh, what are you going to add to the conversation? Go ahead. I don't even remember what the conversation was about now. I was just <laughs> being yelled at. Threw you off, Pacino style. Oh, yes, style. now I do. What? It's not kids that are the problem, it's parents. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, of course.
1: Well, it's also like the adults. I'm talking when I'm complaining on the subway stuff, that's adults. Oh, yeah. Who sit there Who are like, ah, oh, I'm watching my TikTok. Everyone loves TikTok now. TikTok I don't even video. know what it is.
4: You're the young, cool person in this like room. I'm You're ancient. supposed to know this stuff. Is it just like Vine?
1: You got it, yeah. It's like Chinese Vine. I mean, it's from China. It's a Chinese company. So, yeah, it's like Chinese Vine.
4: Why did they get rid of Vine? Uh, I I don't know.
1: This one's cool. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, this, you're our youth and coolness expert. I am. So, this, yes. So, this is where Bruce and Marcus are in house pop culture correspondent. So, yeah, you got to figure out what's going on. There's, ask Ariel. She'll know. Yeah, my uh, wife. She'll, yeah, ask her know. and she'll ask the girls, and the, you guys will know. Yeah. But, yeah, in the meantime, uh, I just need people to stop thinking they can watch videos with the volume blasting in public places, and that's okay. It is not okay. They should put up signs about that. You know They have all these yeah. other signs, like no spitting on the subway and all this stuff. I'm like, how about no volume? It is
4: on there. There's like a little boombox.
1: Yeah, but people know. think that's just for boomboxes. That's the problem. And they, they don't, still do it with boomboxes. No, no, they still do it with boomboxes. Oh, I had the guys yesterday that are like, excuse me, everybody, but we're going to be playing really loud music and dancing using poles. And I'm like, no. I yeah. do not want your feet in my face. I'm sitting here. Huh. I do not
4: want get, to get fly kicked by accident. I've had like a mariachi band get on the subway. and I'm just like... What? I I, I kind of like the mariachi. You don't even pads. blink anymore though, because <laughs> we're New Yorkers. I kind of so. like uh, the mariachi bands. I've had them. Of I course. mean, if they're good at music, right, I like it. Also, like the
1: oh, yeah. guys at the stops that play the drums. I'm okay if they're good. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's a little sad though. Sometimes the uh, the the subway performers are not like I have a subway performer standard that I expect mm. to be met. Like if you're gonna make me listen or watch your stuff. I want it to be pretty decent. You and you, a lot of the time, they are pretty good. Sometimes, though, they're just like it's like rain uh, on your wedding day, and I'm like, no, it's not. Shut up. You don't just ignore it. It's loud. It's in my face. Wear headphones. No, I'm not. I'm not. A, dude, I gotta. You I gotta have headphones. I gotta have all my senses going in case I gotta spring into action, That's ninja a, style. What yeah. if someone tries to steal an old lady's purse? The Buckster is gonna chase that. That's down. how
4: I know your former CIA. That's right. You exactly. Never wear headphones in public. I gotta place. know where all exits are. You
1: know, I've got to know that I can run for half a mile flat out before my hands start to shake. I know that in the cab of the truck outside, the best place to look for a firearm. It's born identity stuff, of course. I'm just saying, Uh, Julie. Hey, Buck. Love the show. Just wanted to offer you a little perspective about flying with children. The last time we flew, we had two kids, and that was hard. Now we have four and go nowhere. (laughs) Well, That's probably a good move, Julie. Flying is stressful, but with children it goes past 11. No parents want to fly with their kids because it is so hard and other people are not very patient. You have to consider nap times, flight times, packing snacks and activities, getting through security, waiting at the gate, checking car seats and strollers, baggage claims, standing in line, air pressure changes, and ears that won't pop. It's insane. Just some things you need to remember next time you fly with little kids— Older kids have no excuse, though. Julie, I get it. I know it's tough. I just think you know that like business class is kind of a sanctuary. Okay, (laughs) I'm just gonna say it. It's so rare for me to ever get to fly business class that you know I want I want to throw on my top hat and my monocle and have someone bring me you know my my foie gras that I will eat with my gold plated silverware and I do not want to hear mommy, mommy and like all this yelling. I don't want to hear that. So, I'm just saying, keep that stuff back in economy where I usually fly.
4: What business class flight has gold plated silverware? No, no but I like cars? this is
1: like this is like when you when you you know if you look at old movies of of trains when people ride in like the, you know in the yes. and these dining cars are beautiful and there's like there's all this elegant silverware and and uh, no yeah. that's and not people used to, dress up to get
4: on the plane. Yeah, dining
1: cars yeah. in real life on on trains are like eh, we got a burrito that's ten years old. I'll microwave it for you, fifteen bucks. That's what a real, that's what Amtrak's really like. Makes me sad. Right, we don't have time to talk more about Dining on the Train because the show is over now. But the show tomorrow will be amazing. It'll be Friday, so we'll have lots of fun. Team, thank you so much for being here. As I always say, pass the buck. Tell somebody to download the podcast on Apple, uh, the Apple Store. Just go to the Buck's Action Show or on the iHeart app, which is our company. So check that one out, too, please. And uh, until tomorrow, you have your orders or your requests, politely. Shields high.